Thanks for tuning in to another THP podcast powered by Dakota Lithium. Dakota Lithium makes the products that we use to stay charged up while we're out on the road traveling to hunt. So if you have any interest in checking out Dakota Lithium's products, you can check the link in the description of this podcast. In this episode, Hayden and I are going to be talking with our friend Joe Rentmeester. It's been a while since I've had the chance to hang out with Joe, and I always learn something about deer hunting when I'm talking with Joe. So hopefully throughout this podcast, you'll learn something as well. And when Hayden and I went to meet up with Joe, that was back in early June. And since then, I've been traveling around a lot. I've been in several different states. And one of the things that I really like to do this time of year is travel around to different public areas that I'm thinking about hunting in the future. Sometimes I'm going to places that I may not be hunting for several years, but I like to go check out public land when I have the chance. And one of the things that I really like to do is just drive around in glass. Glassing doesn't necessarily consist of just looking for animals. It also consists of checking out habitat types, what trees are growing where, and that ultimately helps me decide if I wanna go back to hunt those areas in the future and where I would start if I did come back. So if you wanna save 10% off of Vortex Optics, you can use our code THP10 on eurooptic.com. So if you wanna save 10% off of Vortex Optics, you can use the code THP10 at checkout on eurooptic.com. If you wanna check the link in the description of this podcast, it'll take you over to eurooptic.com where you can use that code. Also, we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media's censorship. Go Wild is a free social community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. In addition, if you want to save 10% at checkout, you can use our code THP on the Go Wild store. All you got to do is visit downloadgowild.com to get started. All right, guys, let's talk with Joe. So we're here with Joe, Joe Rentmeester. I'm saying that correct, yeah, right? Yeah, no, Rentmeester, yeah. yep. I feel like that's Call more me Rentmaster, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> make, it, make it intense. I don't know. That's what some people, they're like, Rentmaster, where are you? <laughs> the Rentmaster. Yeah. And with your rentals, you really are the Rentmaster. Yeah. It, it, Rentmeester, I believe, means something rent-related in... I don't know, wherever we're from, Belgium. Really? Know. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, there you H- go. Holder of the rents or something, it means. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. But. Well, these are just grew right into your name. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> following my bloodline. <laughs> I don't know. But it's but. it's cool because I haven't seen Joe and I mean, PA yeah. challenge Yeah. the last time Three, four we years. hung out. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's been cool to start catching back up. We've been chatting a lot here in the last, what, hour, hour yeah. and a half or so. <laughs> so it's been fun catching up, but I feel like we're going to just be talking deer hunting. We're going to probably cover a lot of topics and kind of our goal with it is just to talk about some specific stuff. I think that's kind of my goal to not necessarily focus too much on just being aggressive because I feel like that's something that when the time is right, that's important to really all of us here, but it's something that I, I feel 
we, we lock on too much in podcasts. I don't, I want to kind of try to get into some nitty gritty stuff and that might go a bunch of different ways, but some specific strategy and some specific things that you've picked up on over the years and just yeah. kind of let it rip. But I do want to hear more about this idea of like pinballing and just your experience watching how deer have reacted to hunting pressure because I feel that one of the things that I find interesting about Wisconsin is the bow pressure from residents that stays kind of full court press for at least most of the season but definitely the early season talk about like what you've experienced in that a little bit yeah so I, I guess the best way for me to do that is kind of think about some specific examples so let's take last season for example there was a the spring prior, I, I scouted a big woods. The big woods had some big rubs in it, so I figured they must be in here at a certain time of the year is kind of the way I broke it down. And then uh, in the summer, I shined, confirmed there were some good shooters in the area. And not far from there, I would say a mile and a half, uh, there's a piece of private that I got access to. I was able to hunt as well. And I didn't hunt that a whole lot, but I, I got to know some of the landowners around that private. And as I started hunting this big woods and hunting for these bucks, you could see the private start to fill up with deer mm. from from the pressure in the big woods. So it was interesting. I'm trying to think. It was a lot. A lot of your a lot of your does kind of shifted first. It almost seemed like um, th- there was a four year old in there, a three year old in there. Those took a little bit of time to shift. I want to say those because our season starts mid September. Those deer, pre- the bucks, didn't shift over until. Um, second week of October, mm-hmm. it took them to shift over, but it's just that, that constant pressure, those constant people, um, on the public land, on the public pushing them to that, the that pushed them to the private about a mile and a half away. Um, and, and in those instances, now that's a different one. So I, I just spoke on the other buck that kind of pinballed two, three miles away. Um, so, so the, one of the bucks I was chasing last year, we called him the mystery buck cause I could never get a good photo of him. I just knew he had a big frame. And uh, I, I went after him uh, opening night and I think opening Sunday, I did two sits and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. So then uh, the following Monday, I dove in and just blew everything up. And I actually, I, I've, I've been running quite a few wireless cameras, I guess I always have. And uh, I walked right underneath the one camera. It, it didn't trigger because I was so tight up against a tree. I just didn't want my photo on it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it was like 15 minutes later, the camera triggered with the buck backtracking me and I got this blurry photo from it. It's kind of cool. And uh, he just backtracked me and went and laid right up on the ridge. So th- this thing was, that's another point too. This thing was laying, I don't know, it was like 20 or 30 yards above this camera. I'd only gotten one photo of him on this camera. So for people that think you're going to, that a camera is going to be the end all be all, they're not. That was a huge lesson for me. But um, what, what was the point I was trying to nail down? <laughs> <laughs> kind of how they, they shift. Yep, yep. So like this one, he tolerated me for... Um, a few weeks of just kind of banging him around. It, a few days later, I, I figured out where he was in that spot. I set up on him and I set up too close. And as I was pulling my bow up the tree, he got up and took off. He'd been watching me the whole time. Jeez. And uh, he, he hung out right in there, but it got to a point where enough was enough. And I think the other thing it comes down to is the personality types of the deer. Um, some deer are just homebodies and they want to be in their spots and they have it figured out and they, they have their bedding area, they have their food source and they don't want to change. Um, other bucks are just more willing to change and move. So it, it, it varies, but the, I guess the big lesson is to not get too, if you think the buck is gone, he might be gone. He mm-hmm. might be very gone. So not get too stuck on him sometimes. Mm-hmm. I feel that one thing that I struggle with sometimes is knowing if he's there, or if he's not like what sign is telling me that he's there or he's not, you know, I, I, and that 
is always the question, but right. I don't have cameras. So I'm always just basing everything off of, is there some big buck sign here that's telling me that this buck is in fact here? And I feel that one thing that I've picked up on and I feel extremely confident in is to me, there's nothing better than finding a shredded scrape that's got a big track in it and it's just well disturbed. Sure. You know, you find that scrape that's just blown up and has a big track in it or just a whole yep. bunch of like big wide stamps in it. I really like that type of sign in a lot of situations if it's fresh. Now, if it's not so fresh, I may still poke around and try to find more specifically where he's at. But to me, something that really makes me pump the brakes, because rubs can vary so much. Reading a rub, I think, is valuable. And I always want to try to pay attention to a rub. But rubs are tough because some places bucks rub a bunch. Some, yeah. they just don't have the, my belief is they don't have the trees that they like to rub maybe even in that area. Like maybe there's a bunch of more mature trees and not very many of those soft barked smaller trees. Mm -hmm. Therefore your density of rubs may just go down significantly. Yeah. And I just value a scrape a lot more in those okay. situations. Do you feel like there's a sign, I guess, that tells you oh, man. that ones you, you are You have to use everything in your toolkit. So trail cameras, um, the one, uh, the mystery buck, as we call them, I had to use, um, just reading his tracks, the, the big woods that I was in was real shaded and soft. So you could, you could see his big track. It was very obvious that it was a, a big mature buck. Um, so we don't, I think I've said it before. We don't get a lot of big rubs around here. Mm -hmm. Um, I've, I'm learning a lot about these signpost rubs. There's different names that people give them. I don't know the difference of the names or the definitions or any of that, but it seems to be a rub. Be whatever you want it whatever to be. Whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it seems to be a rub that all the deer are checking and depending upon the time, you could put a camera on it, depending upon the time that they're checking the rub. Like if it's 15 minutes after dark, you know, he's close. Or if it's just before light, you can get an idea he's bedding close. Um, so it rubs in that way. Um, but like I said, we get, we get, I've had so many scenarios where you jump up a big buck, the bed's beaten down. There's not a single rub around that happens quite a bit. Um, the scrapes, if you got like a swamp buck, scrapes are hard because yeah. their scrapes almost seem more like middle of the night scrapes because they're, they're just not making them right in there. Yeah. You know, and they're then, way out of way from yeah, their bedding area. Yeah. And it's not telling you much. Whereas in some of the big woods stuff here, um, you find a scrape and you can kind of trace back where he's coming from. You can literally see in the foliage, like how he's walking through mm -hmm. and navigating through and, and trace your way back to where it gets thick. So it's shining. We have shining here. Um, you know, you light him up in the field an hour after dark, you know, he's pretty darn close. You could figure it out that way too. Um, so just using all the pieces of the puzzle. Whereas like when we hunted Michigan, Pennsylvania, um, Minnesota, the scrape action was pretty good actually. It oh, was yeah. pretty good. But around here, it's, you kind of have to use all the tools in your toolkit. Yeah. I feel like that's something maybe you've mentioned to me before too, is the scrapes are a little bit different than other places just because in a marsh setting like buck's probably not making many scrapes in the cattails yeah yeah and one question that i had i asked jake this the other day and i'd be curious to hear your experiences with this the area and really across the board in wisconsin all the way to the very northern part i found it on the map all the way to the southern like everywhere in between there are these places where there's wetlands but then there's these mixed in hills and the hills are not consistent to other parts of the country. Like for example, when I've hunted in the Eastern Hills, you have very, uh, similar terrain features over and over again. Mm. 
don't get me wrong, they're all different. They all vary a little bit, but you can kind of generalize certain terrain features like parallel points and a big creek bottom in between. So you got, you know, fingers coming down towards each other, but a lot of hills in really Wisconsin, Minnesota specifically Mm -hmm. aren't uniform is kind of the word I was looking for. Okay. When you're hunting these, both of you guys have experience in this. When you're hunting these ununiform hills with wetlands in between, are you seeing that deer are bedding up high or down low or both? And if both, what makes a spot a little bit more attractive to a deer in your guys' opinions? I would say it comes down to the, the pressure for the most part. Like if people are walking on the hills mainly, that's going to push them down into the, the lowlands. I feel like they want to bed as much as they can up high but if there's pressure up high that they're always going to go down low because that's where hunting pressure is going to be mm-hmm. the lowest i feel like or or wet or thick stuff like that i think they'll they'll want to bed on on leeward ridges to start and then once they get pinballed off of there they'll go down to those those lowlands so i would say they bet on both but it's really dependent on on the pressure mm-hmm. yeah I, I would say it's absolutely pressure pressure based and it, it seems like it used to be more a lot more of that where it was they they actually start in the <clears throat> excuse me start in the hills you could shine them in the summer coming off of a hill or off of a ridge and then as it as time progressed you shine them coming out of the swamps whereas now there's more pressure it seems like they've gotten a little more creative so for example i have a buck this year that i'm absolutely obsessed with i think he's three last year he's got a, a hell of a frame on him this year he's going to be special but um last year in the summer i shined him coming off of a hill and then um I don't know, early October, I got pictures of him coming out of the swamp. And then he's been weird. I've been trying to figure out what he's doing. And I, the other day I was mushroom hunting and I, I, there's a a different hill. It's a a private hill. And I was sneaking up the hill with the kid, the baby on my back. (laughs) And um, I caught movement and right on the very top of the hill was, were two bucks standing and you could tell he was thick and, and massive. But what, what, what I think it is, I think this, I put all the pieces of the puzzle together and I think this is how this deer has been surviving on this hill. It's a private hill. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to the pressure. Nobody's up there. Nobody's bothering him. He could be down the swamp, um, the swamp that he likes to hang out in. I've actually seen people recently posting pictures of themselves in that swamp on Instagram. So it's like, it's getting pressure and he's found where he can go without pressure and it doesn't matter that it's a hill it matters that there's no pressure i think so that it's a weird way to answer your question but i like to give an example i I mean it's really you guys answered it pretty much the same way it's and it is a little bit what i expected i think when i'm watching the map as i'm going past these areas and looking down at the swamp and i'm looking up on the ridge i mean i'm like man i want him to be up there yeah because it seems that it would be fairly easy to read where he may place himself on that ridge because again these ridges aren't uniform that'll just be a kind of a mound or a hill that just pops up or you were showing me a place that you turkey hunted the other day that's just some random long ridge and then it's really the only high point around for a long way and then the rest is wet but when you're looking at that i always think well I'd love for him to be up on that ridge or out on the end of it where he can kind of see a long way it feels like it'd be predictable but then you look at the wetland areas and that seems so vast to me. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing that I would like to get more experience with is just getting out in those wet areas and trying to learn more specific stuff because I've seen many of videos I've heard, had many of conversations, but when I really look at that stuff, it seems intimidating, but at the same time, I feel like 
the trends that you would learn by just putting boots on the ground would be super beneficial. I feel like a lot changes with water levels around here too. Yeah. Like, depending Big on time. like sometimes there's com- wetland areas that there's no way a deer could be in it. Cause those high points that they typically bet on in those wetland areas are completely flooded out as well. So like a lot of times when we're going to an area that we've hunted before and there's wetlands and hills, we'll just, the first thing we do is look at what the water level is yeah. in those wetlands and go, okay, we're focusing on the hills because there's mm-hmm. no way there can be deer in there at the time. So like water levels and then just like time of year and resources that they have available, like early season, all the resources are plentiful in both places, but then um, later in the season, they're probably going to have to travel to get to food or some one of their resources. So they're less likely to to focus on one area over over the other because they're still going to have to travel to to get to a resource that they don't have right next to their their bedding area can you give me a good example of some of the details that you have on a hunt where you found one in the the swamp like that um and like even even to the point of i want to visualize your setup i want to visualize as you were going in there picking a tree being able to get in a spot where you maybe couldn't see that much because of cattails and just thick stuff in general yeah (laughs) it's hard because i i find myself hunting them in the swamps and and killing them outside of the swamps or on the edge of the swamps quite a bit i don't i'll I'll give this isn't kind of what you're asking but that buck right there the, the story with him so the year prior, he was in the swamp a lot. It was cattail, tamarack, swamp, mixed. And I guess let me back up a little bit. One of the things I see quite a bit in the swamps is if you got a buck hanging out in there, he's in the back of the thick and he's just hanging out in there. Nobody's bothered him for a week or two weeks. You bump him once and he's freaking out of there. Mm-hmm. Whereas I just talked about that other buck in the hills, you bump him once. He's used to the squirrel hunters. He's, been, he's four years old now. He's been bumped and just wheels back. No big deal. In the swamps, you bump them once, and it seems like they're out of there. Because probably they just don't see anybody, don't see anybody, so don't see freak. anybody, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're on me. They I got to get. Yeah. Yep. So that buck, um, I've told this story before, so I'm, I apologize if people have heard it before, but um, the the year prior, I hunted the heck out of him as a three-year-old, and I just was just banging all around in the swamp, tried a lot of different things. Um, one, one of the big things in the swamp, to your question, is just staying low. In so many of these swamps, you don't have a lot of trees. You get up high, you get skylined. You don't realize it. You don't have to get very high to get nailed in some of these swamps. They, they can see, and they, they know what everything looks like. So you, you really got to hide well. But that buck, I hunted him really hard as a three-year-old. And then um, during gun season, there were some uh, pine trees off to the side of the swamp. And during gun season, some hunters did a drive in those pine trees and drove out a buck. And the way they described it, it sounded like him. And they, they got a bullet in him. He, he bled pretty good. And I don't know if they gave up on the track or what, but I went out there and I followed the track cutaways. And they blew him out of the pines into the swamp, followed the track, never found him. I don't, I don't, I think it was him and it didn't die. Well, then when I killed him as a four-year-old outside of the swamp, he had a big bulge on his back. You can see it in some some of my kill photos on Instagram. You can see the big bulge on his back. And I'm convinced it was him. And because I was banging around in the swamp all season, when gun season came, he was sitting off to the side watching me or smelling me go in every time. And uh, I just pushed easily pushed him out of the swamp and he got, got a bullet in him and <laughs> so about that, paid that, for it big yeah, time huh? <laughs> yeah that, that doesn't answer your question very well but um in terms of setups and what it looks like going into them staying low is the biggest thing um once you're in a tree you're saying yeah yeah not getting too high in the tree just kind of blending in with the tree the best you can um 
picking trails that's another tough one so like if you're in the woods maybe you're shooting 50 60 yards you have a, a line where you can shoot 50 60 yards in the swamp you have cattails so you better be picking the right trail um that you might see in the mud where he went in that morning and you could you could tell that he's there so you're setting up on that trail for that reason or um you've heard infault talk about it where in some of these cattails their racks will knock down the cattail so you know he's coming down this trail that's that trail's too narrow it's for does so mm -hmm. setting up on the right trail is important um, getting in there mega quiet. A lot of people feel like you make too much noise in the swamp. I think if you did two people, like with a cameraman, it would be really hard. But as if you have enough time and you just pull your boots out of the muck real slow, it's dead silent. Whereas like walking in leaves, crunch, crunch, sticks break, all that. But you can be really quiet in the muddy swamps. Um, what else? I have a question for you for my style. Yeah. Do you think ever that it would be an advantage to take the time like you said to just sneak in there as slow as you possibly can and just get into positions where you're out isolated with them mm -hmm. right as tight as you possibly can get to your to that specific bedding location like let's say for example you're finding the sign that's telling you that he's going back in there so i think of if i could draw up a scene We've got some sort of destination food source and maybe maybe the property boundary of the public and the private where that food source is is uh, parallel to that edge but to our left we've got the swamp over here we can assume he's feeding yep alfalfa or something early season point a to point b pretty simple yep yep let's say we come down this edge and we find a scrape leaving that field going on to the public and then it's like fresh we look down and it's like okay there's a really nice trail going that direction look at the map and say something like a creek is going through the middle of that swamp it's like well we can assume that he's probably gonna have that as like a some sort of stopping point like he maybe crosses it maybe doesn't but i like to kind of associate things with some sort of I don't know, uh, I can't, barrier, I guess. Mm -hmm. When we can just even guess, maybe he'll be back in that little pocket of stuff. Would there ever be an advantage to just taking that trail and sliding all the way down in there and just being on the ground or being up in a little bit of cover facing that one trail? Obviously, you can't see much, mm -hmm. isn't it? but I've always been curious and I think it would be really fun to try it sometime just because they're using their ears to their advantage in those spots. But... If you just take the time to get there, like you said, yep. you could reverse that and use that to your advantage on a, yep. calm, a calmer day and just yep. listen for him coming that way and just, I mean, it would be intense, Yeah, but is there advantages to like getting in tight like that ever, uh, you think? A hundred percent. So I, I love trees. I need, maybe need to just chill. <laughs> I think it's cause I've always self filmed for so long. <laughs> I need something to attach my camera to. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, Jordan Kirkowski, you've maybe heard the name. I've done a podcast with him. Jordan? Mm -hmm. Really? Recently? Yeah. Uh, within the last probably year and a half. Okay. I'm gonna have to dig it up, but he is the G at it. And he, you, so you've heard all the stories probably, but he will literally slide down these trails. It might be a, a lone bed. He scouts really hard. Mm -hmm. He knows where the beds are, where the buck's going to lay. Like he's 
very dialed in. And he, he had his last big buck um, in the cattails. He slid right up on the thing. I think he was like 20 yards from it. And he sent me a Snapchat. And he's like, oh, it looks like he's home because you could see the, the tracks and the mud kind of splashed up. And uh, a little while later, that thing came out of the bed. And I think a lot of his bucks, he's, he just sits on the trail or just off to the side of it. And uh, he's, he's shooting him. I mean, it's on the ground. He's shooting him right in the chest and just ramming the arrow up in him. And he's done that time and time again in the cattail. So you could absolutely do it. Um, that, yeah, I think it would be the ultimate so rush. Fun to me, dude. <laughs> I think your arrow would be bouncing off the yeah. rest. Just hearing him come sloshing and thinking <laughs> it's him. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think about how funny it is just when you can never see a deer and you can hear him coming and just how intense. There's almost nothing more intense than that. Yes. Hell, even a turkey coming in like that walking and you can't see him. It's just yeah it's so exciting something about the suctioning of the water and the mud <laughs> fires yeah maybe it's something from from when i was younger i was just fired up from it but yeah i mean i want to experience it yeah. pretty badly and and i think what's good about that too so like for me sometimes i'm sitting back a little far and maybe a doe and a fawn will pass through well when you're if you're doing that in the way you're talking about you're, you're kind of screwed because that doe is going to nail you that fawn's going to nail you they're going to blow up the swamp Whereas if you're getting right tight up on them, there's no satellite deer that are, are going to be an issue. And a lot of those older bucks in the swamps don't seem to have, I don't want to say it's an all the time thing, but they don't seem to have satellite deer that are an mm-hmm. issue. But like I said, if you're sitting back further on a trail in a tree, then you create problems for yourself. Do you ever use a creek like that as some sort of barrier? Because I, I look at a lot of the wetland areas in really these two northern states up here and even in the east where i'll look at this gigantic swamp or marsh and there's a creek going through it and i always think to myself if you're going from the edge of that to the creek in the center would that be a stopping point like do do you find beds follow those water sources or is it more following the vegetation points and pockets like that I don't have a lot of experience with that. Um, all the creeks that we kind of have around here, they'll they'll jump over or walk through, and it's mm-hmm. no big deal. Um, do you remember the creeks like in the the Minnesota Public Land Challenge, mm-hmm. those big creeks? I even wonder about those. I bet they just go right through them. I bet they do too. I, I, I don't know. I think they do too. I just have seen even like in Iowa, for example, we've hunted around these bigger river bottoms, and even at times where it's pretty full, same deal. They'll just swim right across. Yeah, them. but. I have seen where they have a tendency, especially if there's a little rise there or something, where they'll bed right along that because they can see. Okay. Even if they're not necessarily expect, I mean, you would expect not very many predators are coming down those water sources. It seems like they just like to have a little spot where they can look. And they can are you saying stuff. like an oxbow? Oxbow or even any situation really where they're just able to get right along that and have any elevation. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm thinking of a spot, um, where the DNR must have dug it out. So there's like mm-hmm. a bunch of lumps on the side yeah. of the Creek and yes, I will see bedding on those knobs. That's a big one. So yeah. Does the Creek stop them? No. Cause I've, you can hear them slosh through mm-hmm. the Creek. Sometimes they'll be on the backside of it or whatever, but I've seen that quite a bit where you get those little balls of dirt and they just sit on top of them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that I've seen. I'm just trying to think of, I guess really what the question boils down to is I'm trying to find any way to consistently pick spots and just go in almost blind because I know that's a limiting factor. Maybe that's one of my holdups of hunting this type of stuff is I feel like I would want the time to really learn it because I haven't put boots on the ground yet. And to be honest, I'll probably just have to chip away at it anyway and try to learn on the fly. But I was, when I look at this stuff, I always think to myself, how can I find 
And I'm sure other people feel the same question. What are some tendencies, you know, like if I'm looking at a marsh, what are some things that jump out? Because when you give me a hill country example, like when we were hunting in Pennsylvania, the area that I ended up hunting, I had picked that on the map well before we got there because I liked the terrain feature and I liked the habitat type. So I kind of honed in on that spot. Yeah. But I feel like on a marsh because I don't have any experience there. I just don't know what tendencies are. So I'm always trying to find some little trend. And therefore I look at a creek like that and think, well, if they're bedding right along the creek, that's some spots I can go directly to and hope that they're there. But I don't know enough about it. So yeah, it's hard. It, it's again, pressure based. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about like that, the, the double drop tine buck right there where I ended up killing the other one that same night or opening night. And it's, it's like a little swampy hole. That's nah, pretty big swampy hole. And for some reason, whenever there's a buck, like if you shine a buck out in those fields, he's, there's a corner. They're just in the corner of that. And the corner butts up to like some grassy, brushy stuff, uh, grassy, brushy stuff on the other side. There's no rhyme or reason to it. If you look at it on the map, it wouldn't make sense. Um, so, I, you know, you, you have all of your standard stuff, like your points, or you get that solo high spot. So many of those spots get hit by people. If you can, mm-hmm. if you can see them on a map, they're right. hit by people, it seems. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, my method has always been kind of find the deer first with whatever tool, camera, scouting, put a camera on a funnel, um, shining, whatever, find the deer, and then work back the direction they're coming from and figure it out that mm-hmm. way. So I've never been one to necessarily look at a map and be like, okay, I'm going to start here. I mean, I still look at maps and yeah. think about it that way, but I don't have a good answer for you on that one. Well, that might be the answer though. That might help me too, where it's like, you're, let, let, let's say I find that big track yep. that's fresh. Yeah. Then I'm not necessarily needing to worry about the specific bed i'm just going to start staging my way back yeah. in there which yep. is kind of what you did with that minnesota buck right correct and even more so uh even more so the michigan buck mm-hmm. when i killed with jake it we just kept working our way back in and we got to a point jake even had to slow me down a little bit and he's like dude this just looks good it looked like betting and we set up and we were right on top of them so mm-hmm. I, I even think like i think about the buck the mystery buck that i chased last year and i think like if you dove into that area what would you do and i think you would do exactly what i did which is just run around, try and figure out what they're doing in that area. And then I, I kind of looked at a certain spot and I'm like, that's gotta be betting. It looks like betting. You can kind of see what the hills are doing. It gets thick. There's tornado damage. It makes sense. So well, I, I guess what that, that maybe answers the question. Yeah, a bit, it does. But. It does. It makes me feel more confident. Like I hear a lot of people talk about finding that specific spot where you're expecting him to come from. Yeah. But sometimes that intimidates me because I don't know exactly what that looks like in comparison to hill country or more maybe broken ground where you've got less area to search through. Um, so more open, more farmland, like, like your Iowa's or Mm -hmm. Dakota's or whatever. But then even in solid timber with hills and ridges, I look for some sort of disturbance or good acorn crop and then terrain feature wise i have a pretty good expectation of exactly where the beds are so for example if i find in a spot where a bunch of ridges have a high you know meet at a high point so a bunch of fingers meet at a high point and there's a big scrape right there or mm-hmm. you know big x of trails well backtracking is a little bit easier in those situations because yeah. I've seen more examples of beds yes. there. It's like, well, he's probably out on the end of that point or somewhere in relation to that. So yes. I'm going to get tighter to that. Where here, I look at the map and I'm like, there's like 700 places right here where he could be. And there is 700 places. That, mm-hmm. That's the truth of it too. They could be in 
any little thicket, little pocket. Um, I've got a deer in the other room. I shot him on Thanksgiving Day uh, after all the gun pressure, a week's worth of gun pressure. I shot him on Thanksgiving Day out of a fence line. He was sitting in a fence line watching cars drive by. And we, cool. somebody's like, someone should just run through that fence line. And, and my uncle ran through and I shot it. So they they do just hunker down in the weirdest places mm-hmm. to, to try and survive. And a lot of that's pressure-based, like you yeah. said. I yep. Mean, yep. Um, I've got, I got a couple examples for like yeah. the creek and the river that you kind of described in, in a wetlands or a river bottom situation. There's one example when I was in college in Minnesota that <clears throat> there was this wetland area that there was the area closer to the access was more open, not as swampy river bottom, not as thick. And then there was a um, 10 foot wide river probably that they're easily going to swim across. But I think prior to pressure, they're still going to follow that path of least resistance if it exists. And I found a pretty much a land bridge that went across the river. It was like, it was, it was weird. It looked like a man-made bridge, but it was just a natural bridge of land that crossed the river where they didn't have to get wet. And there was a beaten down trail on it. And I ended up setting up on that, or I, 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 I decided that I wanted to start there and then potentially stage hunt my way in there. But I wanted to start where I knew there was a high concentration of deer using that area. And then maybe I'd learn something about further back in there where they would be bedding. But right across that land bridge, it was really thick. And I ended up just setting up on that the first time and killed a buck that didn't come across that bridge, but followed that river edge and potentially was going to cross that bridge. But if I can find that path of least resistance across that river, I'll start there, see if I can learn something. And if I don't kill there, move in deeper from there. Mm-hmm. But I always want to start with that path of least resistance when it comes to rivers and creeks in mm-hmm. river bottom situations. So that was one example as it pertains to a river. And then another one I could think of as last year in Missouri, um, Keith and I were hunting a river bottom, which was different than a wetlands. It was a big open river bottom that had a lot of big cottonwoods and silver maples, and it was really open, but there was uh, a main river that ran through it that there was like a 20 yard buffer from the river where there was a lot higher stem count, um, stuff. And it was during the lockdown phase of rut. And I know that the bucks will push does up against those hard edges to kind of isolate them Mm -hmm. from other other bucks to keep them secure and we were basically just working down that river edge um about 30 yards off that that higher stem count and stuff and then we ended up seeing a really mature buck push a younger buck off of that riverbed and he just eased back in that thick cover and we tried to crawl a little closer and call at him and get him to come out because we knew he was aggressive but he ended up swimming across that river with that doe but Mm -hmm. I think like a strategy that I I think that I'm going to do that more in the future is especially during that time of year, just kind of run that river edge and just follow a line, follow a line and then work it slow and see if you can pick up on sign or in that situation, see if you can find a buck that just Mm -hmm. shows himself at that time. But they definitely, I I feel like that lockdown phase, they definitely like to hold tight to those hard Mm -hmm. edges and and barriers that kind of separates them from other deer. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So in both of you, you both have traveled so much hunting all these different States. Would you say, do you see that? theme where um they take the path of least resistance when there's not a lot of pressure even Mm -hmm. with the old brutes you know five six seven year olds do you see that with those two yeah and i feel like even within that little pocket that they feel safe Mm -hmm. there's still paths of least resistance that they travel like for example the pennsylvania buck while he wasn't the biggest oldest buck that i even really believe was in that block based off the sign we were finding he was definitely a buck that was living in that area i'm pretty sure that the day before we got him, we saw him, and I'm we, I'm guessing some of the other hunts we heard him because it was just so thick in there. We would hear deer moving through 
right in the area that he ultimately came from the day we got him but even within that pocket it's super dense and as a bow hunter i think i and i'm assuming a lot of others too get intimidated by that well where am i going to shoot right right and in that situation ted and i found where deer trails were coming off of the cut crossing the logging road and we kind of just started putting together the intersections as we were moving through there and we realized there was this big x so there was a logging road that went straight away from us there was a side road that went down the hill and you'll notice a lot on a hillside where those logging roads as they go down a level they'll kind of cut across at an angle Mm -hmm. so that trail was that direction our wind was falling this way where it was really super thick and obviously a deer can bed in that super thick spot but what we noticed is is where they were moving throughout that really dense cover was still the path of least resistance and what they were doing exactly was going down the logging roads or cutting from big tree to big tree so they were oak trees that were it was a select cut i would call it where it's like they weren't clear cutting the whole thing so where there's these oak trees you could tell where deer tra- trails were following them. Are those mental markers or visual markers I, for them? It, or do you think they, they're checking them for food? I think probably both. Interesting. I think depending on the year and that year, if I remember correctly, they were feeding on red oaks in there. And I think that it seemed that that's what they were doing. If they were going somewhere, they were going to go from tree to tree or jump on that logging road, or they were also bedding on the logging roads too, where they were in a tall grass patch, just like what we were set up in. And they were just able to see up and down that logging road. So it's like, even within the dense cover, if you can visualize that path of least resistance and anticipate that, just like what you talked about in the cattails, like you have to pick that trail that he's going to walk down. Even when there's fail a million times before you totally, totally. And I think that um, it's just really interesting. We were talking about this, talking about Turkey last night. You start, as you start to Turkey call more and more, you start to, and it sounds so silly. Cause like, if you'd have told me this when I was like 20, I'd have been like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but as you start to call to them, you get more experience knowing how they like to come in looking. You can almost draw the line where they're most likely to go now sometimes they fool you okay but as you get more experience you start to see that path and sure we were talking with uh hayden's girlfriend Allie last night and she was saying how it's super helpful when hayden says he's likely to come through here and she's starting to learn why he can anticipate that hmm. but okay I almost see the same thing with deer hunting where it's like, how do I visualize how he's going to come out of that bedding area? Yeah. And he may be in the cover, but there's still that one little seam where, you know, he's not going to plow through rose bush. that's like this. Yeah. But if there's that little hole, that might be where he comes through at, yep. or maybe the terrain lays a certain way that he just slides through there. And in mm-hmm. that PA example, the tunnels were very obviously coming from that oak tree to that oak tree and then down these roads. So when Ted and I set up there, where that buck came right down was kind of the the center or the, you know, center of the wheel with the spokes yeah, coming off. Yeah. And it was just really cool, That's cool. That, that he ended really up cool. coming right to that spot, you know. Interesting. That's freaking cool. I don't know if that answers that question. No, no, not, that absolutely does. That absolutely does. And I'm just, I'm making connections in my head with spots and scenarios that I've had out here. Do you have good examples of stuff like that where it's like, the 
path of least resistance even in the the cover i guess yeah. does that make sense to yeah. you too mm-hmm. yep you can in some of the I, I call it big woods around here that's just what i call it but you can you can see it you can feel it like if there's a tangle of stuff here there's a, a fallen down log here and you can get tricked too because i I've, <laughs> I've had fallen down logs where i'm like no way in how they're going over there and, and you set up and you're like they're going through this opening and they go right over the log and then you start to think about it and you're like that opening actually didn't make sense so though we have a lot of tornado damage around here so you, you got to be it's you got to take an accumulation of your experiences and i think some people we talked about this earlier some people are very analytical and some people are very you have this accumulation of your experiences and you respond to your gut and your intuition and i feel like in those situations you can do better because if you're analytical you're overthinking it mm-hmm. and uh just the more experiences you have i, I didn't answer your question very well I, I don't have a good example right now at the moment i like but, that though that if you're just going with your gut you're not overthinking it because there's certainly days where all of us overthink something, yeah, right? And yeah. generally those days you end up just frustrated. I know it happens to me quite often as I go out of the woods like, oh, you know, and it's almost refreshing when the day ends on those yeah. days when you're overthinking. Yeah. You're, it's just you're, over, like, you're like, give me a fresh, a clean slate tomorrow, you know? You're, you're like, you're walking out of the woods all beat up. You're like, why do I even hunt? And then you get back home or you get to the car. You're like, oh, never mind. <laughs> why did I say that? <laughs> I've had that a few times. You get beat up by the woods, but... Totally, man. Yeah. Why I was think, I even thinking that? I think that it's really nice to have. Uh, like for me, something that is helpful is just having other hunting buddies mm-hmm. that have uh, the ability to kind of bring me back. Yeah. You know, not encourage the overthinking. Yep. Encourage the, well, let's just go over there and see. Yeah. You know, and yeah. when you do that, it, it, it really, at least for me, yeah, it helps me relax. It helps me have fun. And then I'm not overthinking and I'm just going with the gut again. And mm-hmm. sometimes it just takes some sort of reset or a buddy that says the right thing that makes you just like, yeah, I don't know why I'm getting so worked up about this. I need to just go check it out. And then I'm going to know one way or the other. So yep. I can either move on or stick with it. Yep. No, I, in, in my example of that exactly is, um, you, you get just too much into this mindset and you just, you like get stuck in a loop. Your, your brain's almost in a loop and you're like perseverating on a certain scenario. And like with Jake, when we hunted in Michigan, he's like, we need to stop here. I probably would have, I feel like I probably would have blew those deer out. Cause I'm like, I've just kind of wound tight. I'm like, need to just keep pushing and to have that one guy say, we, we need to stop here. And then I had kind of pull myself back, reanalyze and, and kind of shift the gears in your brain. You could be your own worst enemy in some scenarios. So it's like, it's like having mentors, just like in business, you want to have mentors and mm-hmm. having, having that peer group and those mentors, people to check you once in a while is really good. Jake's a really good person to kind of keep you in check too, or make you just not overthink things, go with your gut. I have so many great examples over the years where he's just said one little thing to me that like yeah. changed the whole, you know, when I look I can back see on, that. when I look back on even the whole trip sometimes, it's just like, if he wouldn't have said that, I don't know where I would have ended yeah. up, bro, <laughs> if I'd have been alone. Yeah. Like even, even elk hunting one time, I mean, it, it just a, in a nutshell, we were getting back there and I was feeling we'd been hiking and we weren't quite to where we wanted to be. And I started getting worked up about the fact that it was later than I thought. And he just, I'm like, well, we could, you know, I've been thinking about going up here, you know, we could go over here, you know, I want to go up there, but I mean, we're too, we're we're not going to make it there tonight. And he just calmly looked at me and said, well, where do you want to go? And I was like, well, I want to go up there. And he's like, who cares how long it takes? If that's where you want to go, that's where we should go. Yeah. And dude, he ended up killing a bull back there. So it's like, sure. 
Sure. He's, he's got a very <laughs> relaxed way of... Oh. Him, him and he, Ted it, both It's relaxed really, in a good way. Yeah. yeah. Well, Hayden, too. And I feel like I'm just so... Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm like that. I'm ready to combust, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You're chill that way, you yeah, feel? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I speak few words, but then the, I feel like the people who speak few words, when, when they do speak, it, it resonates a lot yeah. more. It means oh, 100%. a lot more. It's calculated, yeah. too. Where yeah. There's lots of I'm thoughts speaking. going on in the head, but I only like to say them when I'm really confident in them. Sometimes yeah. I'm speaking before I've even thought. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mostly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I get that. Which is good and bad, too, probably. Yeah. Each each side has its benefits. Totally. It, it does. But. What, uh, what are some other just examples of things that you have been thinking about in recent years that maybe you weren't thinking about in years prior? Like anything specifically that you've honed in on a little bit that's a little different than in years past? Yeah, so not even strategies, just being... The, the thing that just pops into my mind is being more disciplined and kind of playing the game at a different level. So the you've heard this talked about before, but too, all too often we, we want to kill a buck, whether it's a three-year-old or a four-year-old. That way we can post it up on the internet and, and look like big wheels. And sometimes if you can remove that from your mind, it, it, a lot of people maybe listening might be like, no, I don't do that. Yeah, you do. You do do it. You, <laughs> you don't know what's happening, but you do do it. And so last year for me, the big thing was to push all that aside, say, I don't give a crap if I get one. Um, I had a buck that I wanted to hunt. He was only going to be huntable in January. It's just kind of the way it worked. Um, and our January was all messed up. So we, we had all that warm weather so that you didn't have the cold and the snow forcing this buck into a certain situation. And then um, I had a weird situation where a farmer's combine broke down. So there's corn left standing in a spot where it had never been left before. Mm-hmm. So that messed me up as well. But back to answering your question, to, to just try, tr- I encourage people to just chill out, try to be a woodsman, appreciate the game, appreciate the process. Don't worry about the internet. Don't worry about if you're killing one because it, it was enjoying in a different weird way because it's like, I'm just being a natural woodsman right now. This is fun, even though it didn't work out. And it was, I was at the end of the season, I was frustrated, but it's cool. It's cool to, if you can find a way to get that out of your head and stop worrying about what other people are thinking about the way you're hunting, it, it's relaxing. It's cool. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different game. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird way to put it, but I like that. I mean, it's like a perspective change a little bit. It's like, it is. what, what do I value in this? Well, yeah. I value the game, the process, not just fast forwarding to the success Correct. or even worrying about the success at all, whether it comes or doesn't, it's just nice to focus on what you want to get out of it. Yes. Yep. yep. I can appreciate that so for sure. That That's changed for me a little bit because I've, I've always just been go, go, go. I need to add another one to the wall. And I wish I could have added one to the wall last year, but I'm glad, I'm glad I went through the whole process to try and get to my end goal. Yeah. And I also think that it's one of those deals too, where you look at a hunting career and, you know, assuming that we, we stay healthy for at least an average lifespan, it's like, we still got a lot of years under our belts. All like most of us, yeah. even people listening, like, even if you're I don't know if you're in good shape and good health, even if you're in your mid fifties, you still maybe got the 20 good years of whitetail yeah. hunting left or hunting in general, you know? Yeah. I hope, I hope my dad does. My dad's 57, you know, I'd like to think that he's got another 20 years in him. Oh, so yeah. it's like, there's a lot of time still to, to put another one, you know, yeah. in the, on the wall or in the memory bank or in the photo album or whatever. Sure. So it's like sometimes being unsuccessful, unsuccessful, like what is that? You know, yeah, define because it. 
to me sometimes those seasons where things don't play out the way you wanted them to are the years that you focus in on and they ultimately make you more successful in future years. hundred percent. Yeah. Like the, the bucks, uh, there's a buck in the other room, the drop time buck scenario situation. I killed him opening night and I was done because mm-hmm. you, you get your one bow buck in Wisconsin. I didn't learn crap that year. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't learn anything. Right. I, I did what I was going to do and that was it. So yeah, yeah the, the years where you can go through the ring or you pick up the most. Yeah. You hunt all the way to the end, like mm-hmm. getting more reps under your belt. I yep. mean, you're not necessarily shooting at a deer but as a rep but like you're getting out there and you're getting an experience you're making a theory you're playing off that theory it either works or it doesn't you either see one or you don't and then regardless of that outcome you're learning yes i just think that's it's a tough thing in the moment like one of the things i always think about and i kind of mentioned it earlier those days where i'm overthinking things and i leave and it's that relief Uh it's that i get to start again tomorrow and then i don't have to worry about whether my theory is right or wrong anymore, if sure. that makes sense. It's yeah. almost just like, oh, at least that's over with. We can just go do the next thing now, <laughs> yeah. which is, is silly because I, I want to try and I've tried and, and along the lines of like what I'm thinking about this past season, for example, was I was trying to focus on paying attention to conditions and just com- once I commit, just be okay with it's probably going to fail. Yeah. Nine out of 10 times, it's going to fail. Just be okay with that and commit to it and be serious about it. Like if I'm here, don't be sitting here thinking, uh, I don't know if this is the right spot or not. I have a hard time with that because I am move, 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 go, go, go. I like to, I like to push it. So for example, I can get to a spot in the evening. I hate evenings. Do you kill more bucks in the evenings, but I hate them because it's like, I'm either dead set it's like i get that instinct where it's like this is it where i really don't have it and when i really don't have it i'm miserable sure because i just feel like i'm wasting time sure. so then so then even if i am in a good spot and i think i'm not i'm i'm moving around i'm thinking i'm looking at my map i'm thinking well what am i going to do tomorrow like yeah and yeah. i'm not taking this hunt seriously i'm yeah. not committing to this idea even though my gut's telling me yeah you you probably aren't in the right spot I might as well commit, finish, finish it, move on tomorrow, start with a clean slate, do something different, but I'm not doing myself any good trying to run around with 30 minutes left and try to get to that next spot. I'm doing more harm than good. I just got to chip away and go to the next thing. Yeah. I, I struggle with the stage hunting thing. I just want to be right to it. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. I do. That's a struggle of mine. So it's something I focused on trying to take a step back and relax a little bit last year. I think some days I did a good job, some days I did a bad job, but trying to work on it. I think the, you're like me in the way I think that with like, you, you said you like the, you kill more at night, but you like the mornings better, right? <laughs> and I think part of it is that at night, the ball is in the deer's court, so yeah. to speak. So it, it's make your move, buddy, right? Yeah. Whereas in the morning, you're going into his bedroom and now the ball's in your court. Now it's time. So I, I get what you mean because you're sitting there anticipating which move they're going to make, whereas in the morning... God, when I say it, it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense in my head. Yeah. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, I get it. I also think what I like about a morning is I've got all this time. So, obviously. How how so? Because if he's getting back to his bed within a half Mm. hour of new light, what what do you think? See, I think think that's where maybe sometimes, sometimes, not exclusively, but sometimes our strategies are slightly different in that way where it's like, because I don't know of an area, a lot of times I'm picking my way throughout the day. Okay. So my, my favorite hunts ever have been 
generally speaking, I've scouted an area either that day or days prior and then a different day or that same day, you know, you continue to pick your way apart. So like uh, a couple examples that would come to mind would be um, a buck that I shot. It was a gun gun hunt in Ohio with my friend Ben. I tell this story all the time. I always feel like I'm, you know, it's but it's one of my favorite yeah. hunting stories yeah. ever because it's so unique. We'd picked a spot on a map, never been there. Went to it, and I mean, to, to fast forward to, to the most interesting part, we bumped this buck, right, I mean, right off the damn spot where we thought he was going to be. You know, super frustrating, but we tried to just, you know, keep our head up and try to maneuver around where we thought he might go. And I had never done this, and I've not done it exactly like this since, but we picked where we thought he might go based off the direction, distance, terrain features, and we pretty much just went... 350 yards away from where he was found the same exact terrain feature across the valley from where he came from and said, well, the wind is right for that. How can we circle around that? And when we circled around it, we were eliminating other potential areas that he could have went to and ultimately got into position with, you know, we took the whole day to do this. I mean, we bumped the bucket like eight, nine o'clock in the morning, took the whole day to maneuver around him. Meanwhile, crossing off it was almost like we had spot a we expect him to be in Mm -hmm. spot b he could be in spot c he could be in but b and c we really don't think so but let's check sign along the way to see if we can pick up on something that would tell us he's there sure whether it be a fresh track or fresh feeding sign or whatever but as we got to moving in on plan a Mm -hmm. We start to see that fresh sign pop up. We see a little rub line coming through some oaks that we figure he's feeding on. And sure enough, man, he came through there that night and we shot him. By the time we set up by the down tree that we did, I don't know that Ben and I have ever been more dead set that we were going to kill that buck. Like it was a special feeling. Interesting. And what what I mean, I guess then by saying I like the morning is I like having that time to anything can happen mm-hmm. and we can still play off of it. But with like an hour left, if you're not right on the X, like you said, it's in his court. Mm-hmm. So if he doesn't come over here or I'm too far away, I start hating it. I'm yeah. become miserable. Cause I'm like, ah, I'm just not there. Mm-hmm. I just want it to be tomorrow where I can restart with a whole day ahead of me. Now I think what you were talking about or why you say, or why I said maybe it's strategy is a little different. If you know exactly where you think he's going to be, and you expect him to be on that X first thing in the morning, Yeah, you beat him in there. Where I can get to that point too, and I certainly have hunts like that. Had one in Minnesota last year that was very similar to that where wanted to be in there early and beat the deer coming back. I expected bucks to be kind of cruising through a doe bedding area on their way back to bed. It worked out, I hit the buck high, but ultimately didn't get him, but ultimately that strategy worked, but I feel that most days I'm more in this, I'm going to put this together throughout the day and then I'm ultimately going to end up at the the kill spot. And then I'm going to be as tight as I need to be, if that makes sense. And I obviously every day is different, but yeah, that makes sense. And your style is a little different because you're when I'm on out of state trips, yeah, I have all day, but when I'm, when I'm home, I need to take my best shot in the morning and then maybe I'm going to work. And then when I'm done with work, I'm taking my best shot at night. So, Hmm. or I'm skipping the night hunt and doing a a scouting mission for the next morning or whatever it is. So little, little, 
I, I get what you're saying. That makes sense. I think of my style and really all of THP style for the most part as being like the vacation, the rut vacation hunter type of trip, or even if it's not rut, even if it's early season, we're taking that hunting trip vacation. We're like vacation hunters yeah, because <clears throat> we're committing this relatively small block of time in the grand scheme of a season to just committing to figuring out this area on the fly. And therefore it forces you to just make these kind of risky decisions and push the limits a little bit where yeah. on the other hand, <clears throat> if you're hunting local again, you can, you can pick and choose those moves. And I would do that a lot more if I was hunting like where I grew up, for example, where it's a lot of farm country, small properties, a lot of permission stuff. I would strategically attack things based off of wind and conditions a little bit more precisely, but that's just one very different thing now than when I was younger. You know, I just, yeah. I'm not a local and I, yeah. I and, and it forces you to be aggressive. So when you pop into these new spots all the time, how often, what percentage of the time would you say you're looking at a map and then dive, say it's big woods, hills, whatever, and then diving in and how often might you, um, I want to do some of these early season trips, like your uh, beginning of September trips, where will you hit the fields, do a perimeter check, check for scrapes, rubs, and then work your way in that way? Like, that's a very open-ended question, but... No, no, I, th I, I think back to some experiences that we had in hilly farm country, for example. Broken, but a lot of timber and a lot of big ag fields up on tops, for example, mm -hmm. which you can find that in a lot of states. Maybe on top, maybe on bottom, but if there's some sort of destination food source, that, like that's a starting point, right? Okay. Well, you're not expecting to find, the, you know, a big buck laying in the field at 9 a.m. Like right, maybe right. on the most unpressured stuff ever you can find that. Mm -hmm. Have seen it when filming buddies in Iowa, for example, <laughs> where it's like, why is he laying in the alfalfa field? No, literal, like it looks like a cow, you know? Really? Oh yeah, Jesus. seen it before, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> but well, didn't you guys have that one in uh, uh, North Dakota? In the early THP days, wasn't there that buck that was laying on the field? Or yeah. am I thinking about it wrong? He was laying in the beans. Yep, he, they do that a lot. That was around, Jake. They do that around here too. Yeah, they lay in the beans. But Jake, Jake shot a buck in. Uh, oh, that one too. Yep. Yeah, I'm thinking about a different one. When Aaron shot that one, we were talking about earlier, where the bachelor group was coming in. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was wasn't in there Kentucky. a situation? Yeah, was yep. there a situation in those fields earlier? I think there was one laying in the field or yeah. something. I think that a different I think maybe guy, all so. those bucks that day were either right on the edge or. They were using the sh shadowed sure. side of the field, which is that's that so early season stuff. It's so interesting. You're hunting a different animal. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I think that uh, starting at a food source and getting a perimeter check is a really great way. Yeah, I really enjoy that in field country because you can just bust around the edge and like you're not really risking much. I mean, maybe you kick some does off the inside of the timber, but they um, blow up often, and the bucks are probably used to it. Yeah, so I like looking those perimeters find a scrape or something that's fresh similar to i feel like what you've explained to me that you do in the marsh where you're kind of walking a perimeter and you're just checking to see what is fresh going back and then that's what you're targeting going back so yeah my question for you is is what type of perimeters like if you're going to go into an area where you know there's a buck mm -hmm. and you maybe don't know exactly where he is that day or maybe he just shows up what are some of the things in perimeters and routes that you're going to take in when you're like scouting your way in? How do you plan routes? I yeah, suppose. time of the year matters. So one of the things I've experienced, um, how do I put this? When, when I hunt a new spot, the way that I go into the woods the first time, the way I enter the woods, whether it's down a simple hiking trail that everybody's using or whether it's kind of a, 
a lot of times I'll enter the woods in a certain way where I'm like, oh, I'm being tricky. What I'll find out every time is everybody else is doing the same thing. They all think they're being tricky. So you, what I find myself doing a lot is the way that I enter the woods the very first time, look at it, confirm that it's a bad way to do it, and then cross it off and then find a different way to enter the woods. I've, I've done that time and time again where the first time I think I'm so right and the first time I'm completely off. That doesn't answer your questions. Like I'm always assessing the way my mind is working and thinking about things and then kind of like reevaluating. So that again, it doesn't answer your question. But the, the way I guess I do it after that is I just lately is I just blow up the woods. I just go through everything. I, I almost grid it, look on a map, find the thick stuff, figure out what looks like bedding. And I, I feel like I've, I've seen and found enough bedding areas where as you're, you know, you can look 200 yards off and you're like, oh, look at, look at the, there's no high trees over there. So that means it's thick down low probably because the sun's getting to it. I need to go check that. If it's just open woods, you can kind of eliminate all of it. So it's just going through the woods and blowing it all up. Um, yeah. That's, I'm, I'm like the exact opposite of that, which is kind of funny, okay. like especially in early season, I will pick the path, the path that is the easiest to walk. And that's going to put the least pressure on the deer. And on, honestly, like if there's a walking path on a ridge top, like I'll just run a ridge top, pop out, check secondaries and try to just be as low pressure as I can. And I, the thing I love about early season is there's limited sign and the deer are ten, tended to be grouped up. So I, I can just cover a bunch of ground on without putting a lot of pressure on them and just find those pockets of sign. And then from there, I'll just look at a map and say like, okay, the signs here, where do I think they're going to be based on that? And then I'll put an aggressive hunt in on like that perspective bedding area based on where I find that sign. So I like yep. to really in hill country, I just love to run ridge tops on, on paths. If there is egg fields or stuff like that, that kind of lets me think that maybe if there's beans here, like I think they're going to be focused around here and I'll check field edges, but I, I just love to run ridge tops with walking paths and just slightly pop out and check secondaries and just look for fresh rubs and scrapes. Yeah. And I think that maybe the difference, so that's in season, right? Yes. When you're trying to yeah. kill and the, the scenarios I'm thinking of in my head are some of the stuff around here are my spring scouting. Mm -hmm. I think about the way I entered initially gotcha. and then kind of reformat it i guess that makes, that makes sense. sense yeah i yeah. get that like the the buck upstairs that i killed um uh what was it two years ago i i believe i i did that i i accessed in a weird way and i jumped him up in a weird spot that i never would have thought of that really doesn't tie into the story very well but you you, you learn things by doing weird things i guess mm -hmm. you know the the mystery buck that i talked about um earlier that i chased earlier in the season some where where he was in September, there was a spot where he would bed right next to the parking lot, and I figured that out later with trail cameras that he was he was right next to the parking lot. So if there's no car in the parking lot and I access in a weird way, that would be a benefit. That that mystery buck actually ended up getting killed with a gun by a guy. A guy. So the the private that I talked about that I was able to hunt, I was I had a bad I was sick all gun season, so I just kept hunting this private just sitting sitting it. And uh, Thanksgiving Day there's a house right along the road where I would walk past the house to uh, go back to the fields. And on Thanksgiving day, the guy looked out his back window and there the buck was laying in his backyard. I'm assuming it was to watch our access constantly going out in the field and he shot him off his back porch. So, <laughs> so these, they, they love to watch people around here and mm -hmm. that's where I get a little weird about those main access trails. Now, I think that's a really good point though. And something that I've had to re learn a little bit or depending on where I'm at. So yeah. In, in recent years I've started hunting more solid hills, uh, less like 
less to no ag and just big ridges where it's monotonous and kind of uniform terrain, I suppose. And one of the things that I have went back to is my access a lot where I've realized that I ultimately do that same thing. Everybody else is doing the same thing. And there is a balance though, I think between what you explained and thinking outside of the box where sometimes it is really nice to just use that ridge top road, especially if it's rolling enough to where they're not just, you know, skyline and yeah, every time mm-hmm, you take a mm-hmm. step forward, like I know specific spots you're talking about, like where I've helped you get deer out yeah. of the woods before and knowing how that rolls a little bit more, it does make total sense for you to just go down those path of least resistance, look for sign cross in it and just cover ground that way. But then on the other hand, I went back and realized that in very narrow ridge top scenarios, if I'm just taking the path of the least resistance right on the top, I'm just getting my ass skyline the entire time I'm doing it. And I've had to look at that a little bit more precise. And it's something that I look back on my first season or two and I'm like, well, like, why did I think that was a good idea? But that's why I like checking out new stuff like that and chipping away at, um, mistakes because then you can take that somewhere else too. Like whether it's the same state, in a different parcel or um, a totally different part of the country that has similar terrain because I mean you can find like that terrain that I'm talking about in all the way in Arkansas for example you could find it in Georgia and I just think that looking at that balance between path of least resistance scouting in season versus trying to think outside the box and approach things at a different angle but to kind of combine those two thoughts ideally you run that obvious route you kind of get a little risky even in season to where maybe you do bump him Mm -hmm. but then once you have a spot where you're going to hone in on then really thinking how can i come at this from that odd angle and i i've really started to have more confidence in picking routes to get tight to stuff because one thing that i struggled with was just bumping deer from a long way away Mm -hmm. in open timber with big hills because you can just see so dang far across the valley or it's really loud, but understanding how I can kind of slide in in an oddball angle where how many times do you really see hunters approach from the steep side hill? Like right. almost never. Right, right. But if you can yeah. hone in on a spot to where you don't have to do that for, you know, two miles back, take the path of least resistance, but then use the terrain to dip down and around and come in on it yeah. from a specific spot. I, that's, that's where I feel like I've really got excited in the last couple of years. Cause I feel like I'm having these light bulb moments of how to be more precise in those ways. Yeah. So I think about like your, the ridge you're talking about and that you've experienced as well when you're running that ridge, is it the type of ridge where maybe every other week there's a, a dude walking with a stick, just walking his dog or something? Okay, so you can get away with it because those yeah. deer are used to it. They're probably seeing you, probably watching you. But once yeah. you do what you said and you dip in a weird way, that's when you're getting risky. You're learning things, but you're getting risky. Yeah, mm-hmm. especially early season because that's they're they're not getting hunted up to then. So like like you're saying, just the normal recreator out there, they're used to that. It's once once people start beating venturing off that main path yeah. is when they start changing things. But yeah. I just use that early season as a way to find those those pockets of deer and sure and like Zach saying if it was a scenario where it was a skinny ridge where everything would be able to see you I, I probably wouldn't have that strategy but I'm thinking of specific ridge tops where it, the only thing that could see me is their hundred yard wide ridge tops where only if they're on the top of that ridge they'd be able to see me and then 
I I may get busted if I pop out and check a little secondary ridge or something like that. But then you know, I'm still learning something, and it's not where I'm diving down into their bedding area where there's probably a good chance they're going to come back to it still early in the season. Sure, sure, that makes sense. I really like looking at when I when I bring up the 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 route thing. I think my my mind automatically just goes to in the day hunt, you know, like yep. today what's fresh or whatever. And I think that there's always some sort of edge or I've been trying to really, because I also rarely stop moving too, you know, I'd like to just, I'm just not a very still sitter, you yeah, know, yeah. but, uh, unless I know something's there, I'm confident for some reason or another, but I think of it like picking an edge that I can be quiet on, have somewhat of a low impact varying depending on how much I'm trying to figure out. If I'm trying to figure out a bunch of really fine details, I start getting more risky. I feel like I'm you a have little to. pushing I a little bit to. more. Yep. I mean, do you feel the same way that you're doing stuff like that too? Where it's like, you know what? I'm going to have to push a little bit harder to figure out if this is, you know, a green light or a red light or whatever. Yeah, I do because I would rather have the information and blow it up and be able to put that in my, um, my gut of, of information and, and use it next time than not have it at all. Yeah. That's cool. I, I guess you're kind of weighing your options, right? Mm-hmm. Like you talked about before. I mean, so do you have I any do. good examples of where maybe you messed up, but that helped you in the long run? Like I always think of that one that I was talking about earlier with the bump in the buck and then shooting them. It's like, we messed up, but we still managed to make it work in any bump and dump situation or even bumping a deer in the off season or late season early season whatever it's there's so many examples where messing up helps i think yeah so this deer a little bit i could talk about so i thought decent little one (laughs) (laughs) welcome to our lovely genetics around here dude that's Uh, a freaking inch and a half bro times love him i love him i mean if i ever have a day where i don't think that thing is like yeah an absolute hoss then i'm I'm probably not in it for the right reasons that, anymore. <laughs> that year, that was before bow hunting really picked up. And that year, there was a 169 around and a 172. Both got killed that same year. So he, he was the third biggest buck I knew about. So when I shot him, I, I have a video of myself picking him up and going, oh, he's not as big as I thought. <laughs> and now I look at him, I'm like, cool. Oh, yeah, but, uh, but um, so the story with him, um, I've told the story several times. So I apologize if you've heard it. But... I, it took me a while to figure out where he was coming from, what he was doing, and I thought he was coming out of a, uh, a thick cedar swamp into uh, a woods with a hill on it, right? And when I, when I went in that day, I stayed on the inside edge of the swamp and skirted it and looked for any big tracks cutting out scrapes, rubs, and I was going to set up on, on the perfect thing. And I skirted it, and I got to a point where I set up. And, and I don't remember why I set up there. I think it just felt like the right spot. I wasn't seeing the sign I was expecting, but I'm like, damn it, this thing is coming from back here. I know he is. I had pictures of him coming from back in that spot. And I set up and I actually had like a 125 incher come out. And I remember videoing him, sending it to people. They're like, why are you not shooting that? And I'm like, because the big one's back here. And then right, right at last light, this was like the beginning of November, right at last light, I heard something up in the big woods on the hill. And I'm like, what the heck? And I looked and there he was cruising coming off the hill. So he wasn't down the swamp. He was on the hill and uh, I snort wheezed with my mouth. He came down and I shot him. And then, um, I started thinking about it. I'm like, what the heck? So this thing was actually never in the swamp where I expected he he's up on that hill and the the hill has pressure at different times of the year for different reasons. I won't go into the details, but, um, so I do think he was spending some time in the swamp, but when that 
pressure was removed from the hill, he would go up there. So then um, it, it got me thinking. And after I shot him the following spring, I walked around that hill and picked up both of his sheds from the year prior. Mm-hmm. And they were laid out there. So that was his camp out. He would normally, if I were to go into that woods like any other hunter, I would, I would walk into it. He'd see me up on the hill. But that day I skirted along the inside edge of the cedars so he couldn't see me. Wow. Slid up a tree. And when he came out, he thought life was good like every other day. And it was a surprise. <laughs> it was a surprise <laughs> to him because I popped just out of the swamp. So That's a really good example of kind of what I was talking about earlier coming in from that different angle, but a different setting. Yes. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly it. Because you, you come in from a different angle. You don't know why you're doing it. You don't know if there's a benefit and there ends up being one. It's, I'm trying to think of a good way to explain the buck that you saw upstairs from two years ago. Um, I came in on him in the spring and bumped him out of a spot and where he was sitting in spring, he was set up perfectly to watch the main access trail. That didn't teach me anything for the hunt. That didn't help me kill him in any way, but it was like a little refresher in the brain to say, Hey, maybe coming in the normal way. Like if I had come in the normal way and knew he was betting over here and then tried to circle and set up, it wouldn't have worked. He, he knew there was hunters there that night. He's probably going to wait till it's jet black to get up and move. So sometimes just mixing it up and, and accessing in a weird way is a good thing. Maybe, maybe that's why I'm saying that it's, it's a intuition or a gut instinct from this guy. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's why I'm yammering about that. But do you remember the buck that Jake and I jumped? There's no footage of it. So it's not overly memorable. Cause I double punch. It's like, <laughs> honestly, probably one of the maddest cameraman moments of my entire <laughs> life is when I double punch on the Magnum that we jumped, but we had, spotted some deer right up by the road uh-huh. and i i really don't know it it kind of was one of those things that just fell into place and maybe if i could go back in time and listen to the conversations jake and i were having maybe there was more strategy to it but ultimately what happened is we came into the piece from the road by going in on a side hill and there's this big finger ridge that came out and as it dropped it had increasing vegetation as it went down so instead of the vegetation being thick up on the nose where a lot of times in hill country you'll see deer kind of out on the end where they can see 360 they were actually further down but as we were coming in we were coming in on the side hill and we just started to get around to where we could see that thick stuff and it was like man maybe we should you know kind of glass this a little bit but we hadn't seen anything hadn't really seen any fresh sign from the direction we had come from then we go just a little bit too far, bust out all these deer, multiple bucks, but one just beautiful 10 pointer, like really not, I mean, the type of buck that we would have all been like, whoa, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, had we even just got footage of him, it was sweet. Okay. And I, man, I was on him running across that bottom for a long time. And I'd all of a sudden realized we were on standby <laughs> <laughs> and I was super upset about it, but I learned so much from that because yeah. where those deer were. You darn near could have glassed them in their beds because they weren't in anything super dense. But from that position, they were just elevated enough where they could watch the main trail. Yeah. And that day when we walked back out, when we got to our vehicle, there was a guy going into bird hunt with his dog. Guess where he walked? Right down the trail, right underneath the end of that ridge. And they just watched. And they were just watch. They would have just, the, except for they were gone because we came down the hill too <laughs> yeah. fast. But yeah. It, it, taught me so much about not only how much they're doing that, but also how you can trick them so easily if you know that they're doing that. So yeah. maybe you find 
sign coming out of there. And I think we would have anticipated them being more had we found sign, but for whatever reason, they weren't going that direction. They weren't going where we were coming from, if that makes sense. I think they were just either dropping into the bottom and feeding down there, or they were going up the other side of the ridge that we, like it came down like this and we were coming in this way. And I think they were either going down or going this way. Okay. Okay. And therefore we didn't find signs. So we just kind of ran them right over. Yeah. They're, they're, they're doing what you wouldn't think they're doing. And that happens so often. But, ha- but looking back on it, it would have been really challenging to find out that they were there. Okay. Unless you made a big perimeter. Because again, if you walk in on that trail, they, I mean, they just nail you. Yeah. This is a no brainer. They got you 10 out of 10 times. I don't think you could do it in the daylight, in the dark. I don't think it would have mattered. I think if you walked down that trail, I think that was their main focus. Yeah. They could see way down it. Yeah. Darn near from the vehicle. So I think when we came in that side angle, they just had no idea we were even. Right. And we surprised them. They surprised us. It was. You a, can see the look of surprise on their face oh, sometimes yeah, I mean, when you come in a weird way. You see it. They're how they're literally like, how did this happen? Yeah. Some of these old bucks, I've seen looks on their face where I'm like, these things are like, they know what's going on. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. <laughs> Some of the young ones are just like normal animals, but yeah, they get the looks on their face. Where they like, I messed up. Yeah. I didn't even yeah. know that was my weak spot. Yeah. Yeah. I never. Did you ever see the video of the buck I shot in his bed? Yeah. When I shot him, a very mature, like 150 inch buck stood up and he turned and looked at me in the tree and the look on his face was, it was the weirdest thing. It was like, like picture a dog that has a personality. He just looked at me like, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. It was the creepiest thing. I think that's really but, cool though to yeah. watch. You know, they can tell, you can tell that they know yeah. something went wrong for yep. them in that moment. And yep. I mean, people talk about all the time, like mature bucks are a different animal. Yeah. They are. We, we've got one over here in the, how do I explain it? It's in a prison. I'll put it that way. It's, it's, <laughs> there's a prison and, and the deer are in the prison and that thing will not come out of the prison. He's the most cagey animal in the world, but the prisoners throw him apples under the fence and he eats them and they all watch it. That's crazy. <laughs> so so the, the, the switch flips when he leaves, right? Yeah. And they know they're, they're freaking smart animals. Totally. I like, I like, I'm so interested, I guess, in, all the details of what it looks like for you going in. I just find that whole route thing pretty fascinating. Do you have any other good examples that come to mind of things that in the moment you maybe picked up on a little sign? And one thing that I've, you told me a couple of years ago, probably that I have just really learned a lot from and has made me open my eyes to different fresh signs. It's probably one of my favorite details that I've ever heard in a podcast or conversation in general when you told me about how you watch for muddy tracks going down cattails while I've never experienced that it's made me even hone in more on little tiny details because again I think that you have some experiences and you really appreciate these when they happen where it's like oh there's this blasted rub line with huge scrapes down and it's like yeah no brainer there's a perfect line from bedding to food you can draw and it's like the perfect script, but it rarely happens that way. Yeah. So when you pick up on those little details or even just explain what situation uh, or, or for your situation, what details you're paying attention to, I feel like that's helped me hone in on yeah different details or keep those in mind for when I'm in these situations, I suppose. I think for you and I, based on what I'm learning as we talk, I think it's about the slowing it down. The details are right there to see. I was recently scouting with uh, Mario, mm-hmm. uh, Trafficante, and 
we were scouting a spot and and again like i said we got all these tornado trees where they're knocked over and i'm, I'm like do you think they're i knew right about where the bedding was and i'm like do you think they're bedding right in here i'm like well, what are your thoughts I'm like it doesn't quite feel right and he, he's like oh look at the brows you can see they've brows on all this i'm like oh, geez, i'm not paying very close attention to the brows i guess so there was a detail i was missing and then all these uh tornado trees that are tripped tipped over a lot of them are i don't know two three feet off the ground well that's perfect height for when they're crossing over them they're leaving trails up from their hooves kind of like scraping the bark and suddenly it's like shoot i didn't think of that either so there's you got to slow down and think about those details but that that's a big one around here that people can use if they're hunting in this tornado falls you can see the trails on the damn logs mm -hmm. so I, f I found that one time elk hunting we were actually in that spot that i mentioned earlier when jake said i think we should just go up there because that's that's what's telling us to go that way well we kept hiking for like another whole half a day basically and we weren't really seeing much fresh sign i was starting to feel nervous about the decision we were making then all of a sudden it was like there it is tons of it and one of the things that i remember seeing was this wallow that looked like it had been hit in the last couple of days, but specifically on a log, there was a drag mark where yeah. you could tell an elk had went over that and there was a mud streak right on it. And sure. That's like pretty dang fresh sign. Yeah. So that's a, yeah. And the, the really dead logs, obviously one hit of the foot and they just blast the hole through it and it's obvious and it's right mm -hmm. there. But even these fresher logs, you can see the little scrape mark on the top from mm -hmm. the hoof or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. And I just think that, the other thing you mentioned a long time ago is something that I really have felt is a pretty easy way to narrow down a difference between a buck trail and a doe trail is the tunnel. Yeah. Like yeah. If you're on a field edge or you're on, it sounds like it's the same for cattails, which makes sense. There's like that one wider trail that's, that's the buck trail. Yeah. These little tunnels that are this big, a doe just sticks her head through there and yeah. her body follows and it doesn't create this big opening, but there's specific exactly. spots. And we, we've seen tons of does and how they navigate through the brush in the woods. And you're like, where did that doe come from? And suddenly the fawn weaves his head through and pops <laughs> yeah. out. You're like, oh, that's how she did it. And bucks can't do that. Right. So, yeah. And I think one easy way to visualize what we're kind of talking about here is just go watch a video on that's on private land on a well manicured land that has a distinct edge like a field edge and when those big bucks pop up and they're they're the star of the show mm -hmm. watch where they come out of i mean you can tell that that's the buck tunnel yeah like he's so many clips in like a hunting show where it's like a really nice piece of land and you're hunting they're hunting really big mature bucks that come out into the open yeah if you watch right when they step out a lot of times they're just standing in that giant hole and you can start to visualize those and you can actually see them when you're walking down edges and tell well that's like for example if i was to go walk a field edge and or some transition line. I find that big tunnel and then there's a big scrape with a big track going in. Yeah. It's like, well, maybe Dead, right, right here, I should just be right here tonight, <laughs> yep. you know? Yep. And if he doesn't show up, then maybe tomorrow we push in. But those little details and those fresh sign things are things too that even again, that detail that you told me a couple of years ago about the splashing, it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, man, like pay attention to those tiny little details that may seem insignificant, but that's telling you today he was there this he morning was there yeah and yeah. i think that's helped me a lot yeah and that's how jordan killed his two years ago exact mm -hmm. same way just the mud pulled up on the cattails it's, it's better than a trail cam photo in a way mm -hmm. in a certain way but yeah yeah i like that stuff man that's the type of stuff that 
that that's the woodsmanship of it mm-hmm. yeah and it's really fun too when you start to see trends like that and just yeah are, are you good with tracks are you could you pick out a box track and follow it all season the same one yeah like it depends the details been, of the track there's been situations where i would say yes okay um not tons of them yeah but there's been situations where tracks have certainly led me into spots um and even hunting with friends like there was this one time when we first started we used to make private land video journals and public land video journals sure. and we'd film our buddies in iowa that hunted private and one of the things that i remember and I'll never forget it was yeah. I was hunting with our friend Brett and we jumped down in this Creek and he's in front of me and he jumps and I see him stop and look for a long time. And I'm kind of filming him from a distance, just kind of keep my eyes up, but keep looking at him. He's standing there looking at that Creek bottom and I get to the Creek bottom and sure enough, what he's looking at is this absolute hammer of a track. I'm talking beyond big, which happens occasionally yeah. where you find that just smoker of a track. And you're like, that's something else. Well, he knew there was a big buck in that area and he was a freaking monster. Sure. You know, one of those bucks. It's so, you know, it's him. And, and it, and I remember him looking at that track and I get to it and he looks back at me. He's like, you know, I was looking at that too. It was fresh. He's like, like, what do you think about that? And I was like, I mean, that's gotta be that bug. Mm-hmm. Now we didn't see him, but certainly that made our confidence go up that night. And that's one example I always think about where it's like, you find a smoker track like that. And especially if you know that bucks in the area and you're hunting that specific deer, mm-hmm. Brett could have absolutely used that track and remembered it. Cause you just don't see that many. I right. mean, you're not going to see more than one track like that in an area most situations because it's like maybe not for but once or twice every decade even so that was kind of interesting but another story that i've been telling a lot so like joe said sorry (laughs) if you've heard this but this really helped me this past season it's fresh in my mind so i like telling this didn't get this book but man i feel like you might appreciate these details so again no no cameras and just on the fly trying to make it happen quickly keith and i we're hunting together and we had driven past this piece of public that had some food sources on the outside of it. Food sources were just wheat fields. So they weren't anything major, but we were kind of using that as a mental destination food source. Generally speaking, movement was going that way in our heads. And we found this piece of public land that looked like it had some pretty good cover in it, but we knew nothing about it and we knew nothing about where the concentrations of deer were. It was again, a situation where it's like, there's 500 places they could be in here. Kind of pothole cattail spots, mm-hmm. but then also some, uh, alder swamps sure. with a little Creek going through it. And we ended up kind of making a perimeter circle and we were just walking edges and really being pretty careless really just Mm -hmm. i mean you have to you you have no idea what this looks like right gotta figure it out somehow so we found closer to where we parked a fresh scrape and it was kind of like yeah i mean we could hunt here but let's keep moseying our way around we ended up coming back into these potholes where there was cattails and then alders in between it was really dense and then it kind of broke into these patches of higher ground that weren't really elevated but more than a couple feet above the cattail potholes but it was also really dense in there just really high stem count some invasive stuff in there and just couldn't really see much but then also 
there were these dried up sloughs that had um, canary grass in them. But where those canary grass spots were, it was very similar to that spot in PA where there were these trails that would go from pothole to pothole, but they seemed to congregate yeah. right on those canary grass patches. And then we were finding these gigantic scrapes on those canary grass patches. <laughs> we got them the, the dogs were my decision. <laughs> Came with the wife. <laughs> oh man, I love those dogs. I think I got, I think I have, to, I'm going to have to take a quick bathroom. Dude, break. I do too. Cool. Yes. Okay. Yep. Let's do that then. Sure. So these canary grass patches were kind of the X, I guess. We knew that there's a really good chance that deer were going to go to this spot. It didn't really matter as much to us exactly where the bed was. It seemed like they were going to be comfortable moving through these areas because everything around it was super dense and there was just no hunter sign in this area. And we knew that getting in there was going to be a challenge, the biggest challenge, just because it was so dense. And we had like day after day in the forecast of calm warm weather so we wanted to wait for some sort of major change and we were starting to see in the forecast that one day coming up was going to be really windy before first light so that was our day to go in there and dive in so the day before though on our way to a different spot that we were going to hunt we wanted to check the trails coming from that piece going across a private land grassy field across a gravel road that was barely ever used by people driving pretty much just the people that live on that road and the occasional hunter we wanted to see what tracks were coming across the road and really just confirm that they were still going back and forth because obviously going in there we made some sort of disturbance but again, that buck sign being so blown up with like multiple big scrapes made us feel confident that there was one in there. So the day before we were going to go hunt, it was, you know, evening time and at late afternoon and we're driving down the road and finding these tracks and I end up looking and all of a sudden one caught my eye. Same deal as that one that I talked about with, that I saw with Brett. Weirdly big. I mean, again, top, truly top two tracks I've seen in the last five or 10 years, like monster track dug down into the gravel, huge stamp and a gravel road. Yeah. Headed right to where those scrapes were. So the next morning we sneak in there and I guess there's all kinds of details. We took our time, really snuck in there, tried to circle in to make sure that we weren't putting too much scent on the main buck trail. And sure enough, we had to walk right past him. It was really windy. And right as we're closing into where we were going to set up, we were 20 yards from that trail where those scrapes were from canary grass patch to canary grass patch. Six minutes before legal light, we break something, stop and listen. And all of a sudden it's just like, he walks in and it was dark enough that you couldn't film him, but I saw him through the binos. Big one. Yeah. And he came in, tore that scrape up and walked right back the way Jeez. he came and hit him up on the way out. Okay. Sat there the whole rest of the day, never saw a deer. But what I learned from that was big buck sign on the ground, something that like light bulb 
covered all this ground, hadn't seen anything like that. Had not seen a hardly a scrape that was torn up. And then we find five that are just shredded. We find that big track on the road that we assume he made in the night. Yeah. Sure enough, he was back there. Now, we didn't get him, but I learned a lot from that. Trust that instinct. Yeah. If you find that big sign that's making you pump the brakes, just go for it. Yeah. Pick the conditions that work to get in there. And then we ended up kept uh, hunting in there the next couple of days and learned more about him. But he had these tunnels where you could tell he was going through those tunnels. He wasn't using these trails. He was using these massive tunnels that would go through the really thick stuff and you could see big tracks you would see trees that were shredded in a different way and it's Uh like there's something different about that buck and just reading a sign built my confidence for the future to read other bucks sign and just say hey this is enough i'm committing to this and i i just really learned a lot from that experience Yeah. yeah If you get good at reading tracks, and I'm not like I'm, I would say better than average, but I'm I'm not good at all to where I want to be. If you get good at it, it's as good as, if not better than, a trail camera because you get a direction of travel. You can take it a little ways. You can, you lose it, and now you can check this trail, check that trail, and you're learning so much. If you can, mm-hmm. for like some people can read like Justin Wright. You've maybe heard the name. Mm-hmm. He he told me what book to buy. There's a book he read. And I have the book up at my nightstand, and I kind of page through it. But there are so many details and tracks that I can't even wrap my head around. But if you're good at it, um, what was my point here? There, there's levels to it. And uh, if you could just get better and better at oh, that's what I was going to say. For me, it's exactly what it is for you. If there is a two-and-a-half-year-old versus a track from a four-and-a-half-year-old, I can tell the difference. Like, it's a heavier animal, a bigger track. I have had some – I had a five-year-old one time with a tiny track. That does happen sometimes. But um, – for people that want to up their game with reading tracks, just look at a big versus small and don't get tricked by the splay. You can get a doe that runs and comes down and splays mm-hmm. her tracks real wide. And I see people post pictures on Instagram and they're like, look at this big track and it's just a splay. So don't, don't get tricked by that. Just look for just a, a big, big, big track and you can learn a lot about a deer that way. What he's doing, what he's up to. Yeah. One regret that I have looking back on a specific example was uh, of a track. I found this spot one time where ridges were coming together and there was this these perfect bedding points up here and i should have just trusted the wind direction and everything i should have trusted all the instincts i had but i instead passed it to go to a spot that was good last year you know how that usually turns out didn't see anything but a couple of does kind of meandering around but in that scrape it was that day or that night i mean within 12 hours and just had nothing but just monster stamps throughout the whole thing and then there was a couple just flat tracks but they weren't splayed but the whole shape of the thing was just like it was kind of your classic drawing of a deer track where there's no split in it Mm -hmm. it was just very precise stamp but just the overall size of that was huge and we didn't end up pursuing that and i really wish i would have it was kind of the flip side of the example i just used where it's like we found all these clues that tell us he's here today and we just went right on past yeah and went to a spot where there was nothing fresh sure and i look back on that and try to compare that situation to the situation i just used with keith where we did see the track and the scrapes and just committed to that instead of getting caught up in a spot or a past history thing yeah yeah and I just, I honestly, man, I've learned a lot from 
conversations with you, whether it's on podcasts or just stuff we've talked about at camp about that specifically. And I feel like, yeah, likewise, likewise, just watching your videos and, and following along and there's so much stuff. It used, I feel, I feel like our parents came from an era where everybody wanted to be the big man and learn things yourself. But if you can uh, pick things up from other people, learn from other people, you're going to speed up your learning curve so much and, and I always, same for both of you guys. I think of it as like everybody has a style, mm-hmm. but you can pick snippets from everybody else's style too. And there's so many times that I'm in the woods where I just think stuff like, I remember Joe talking about that one detail, or I remember somebody talking about hunting in the big timber and seeing this little detail and just grabbing those snippets and yeah. then trying to incorporate them into those instincts and your own experiences that help you have that gut instinct yeah I suppose. yeah turn them into your own yeah well man you got to get to camp and so <laughs> yeah better wrap <laughs> this up. i looked down there and i was like oh we've probably been talking for like an hour and we were hour and a half whenever we stopped to take a break there so <laughs> oh really okay yeah cool it's been awesome it's been good catching up and yeah it's good catching up good chatting hopefully cool. we can do more of these in the future you know yeah absolutely you guys are welcome out anytime well Appreciate everybody watching. Appreciate Joe for taking the time. Yeah. Hey, do you have your? Do you have any stuff you want to send people? Like, do you have any videos that you want to send people to, or anything? Uh, in what way? What do you mean? I don't know. Like, do you have any YouTube channel that you? Oh, put in your oh, stuff send at? people to like yeah. direction? Nah, not really. I just have my Instagram. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a sleeper on there. Sometimes I like to fly under the radar a little bit. Um, but once in a while, I'll post something cool on Instagram. So not really. Cool. No, just just like hunting. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. <laughs> Me too. Really? Absolutely. <laughs> I bet Hayden does too. I do, yeah. I bet all y'all watching too also like that. All right, guys. Thanks awesome. for watching. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Thanks.